I was in a coma for six weeks while the doctors told my wife I was going to die. When I woke up, she told me the most fantastic story. My team kept running the business without me. Freelancers reached out to my team and said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. I consider that the greatest accomplishment in my career. My name is Craig Andrews, and this is the Leaders and Legacies podcast, where we talk to leaders creating an impact beyond themselves. At the end of today's interview, I'll tell you how you can be the next leader featured on this show. All right, today I want to welcome Derek Johnson with Fit with Derek. Can't wait to talk about this. Um, Derek is uh, mixed and growing up in the South. He saw hate from both sides, but instead of having it pull him down, he used it as fuel to drive his life. And that, not only that, but grew up in a home with a little bit of alcoholism and rage and used that to drive his life. I uh, ended up joining the army and um, he used for a while, he used fitness as an escape and um, quickly was able to stay calm in moments when most people would break down or snap. So Derek has some amazing lessons for us today. Derek, thank you for joining Leaders and Legacies. Thank you for having me, Craig. It's a pleasure being here. Yeah. So, you know, my my wife grew up in an alcoholic home. And, you know, the the things that I hear, the stories that I hear are just, I mean, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And, and, and I know that her dad's alcoholism came out of a place of brokenness himself. I mean, he was uh he was a Marine Raider in World War II doing a lot oh, wow. of hand-to-hand. Uh, combat and yeah. that that gave him some ghosts that haunted him what was it like for you what was yeah how'd that go yeah great question so everything honestly shifted when I was about 11 years old so I had a great relationship with my parents up until that point everything was positive but I feel like their past their childhood so one my mother is German and she grew up in the city in Germany in Nuremberg Americans would say Nuremberg, Nuremberg, Deutschland. And my father is from Starkville, Mississippi. So he's a farm boy. So farm boy joins the army, meets my mother in the discotheque. That's what they called it at the time. They have my sister. Years later, they have me. And so with their upbringing, they both grew up poor. So they were the oldest of multiple siblings. So they played the parent role while their mother was at work. So they had jobs at 14, 15 years old, were raising their siblings. And then they both had alcoholism and drugs run on both sides of their family. So they saw a lot of violence, traumas, etc. So I feel like with their upbringing and things that they saw in their teenage years and along with the military was spilled into whenever I was 11, something mentally shifted with them where at night, after work, after the get together, after the party and all that, they would have that last bottle or have that last sip. And then they would basically just release onto me. I was the youngest of three. So I essentially became the mental, physical, emotional punching bag, but I could see that they could see that I could take it. And I don't wish that on anyone, but I was just always the calm, quiet kid. And I would always look at analogies and perspectives of what was happening in multiple perspectives. So I wasn't really affected by it in the moment, except for that first year when I was 11. So with that being said is both parents were very successful in their careers and never affected their careers. But between the hours of 9 p.m. to 1 a.m., 
they would just let loose and it had nothing to do with me. And I'd accept that. So that first year, it was a reality check. 11 years old, hearing your parents say stuff like they shouldn't have had you, abortions, like just wild stuff, glass being broken, being punched, like all the stuff that you would see. And at first I was shocked. And then once I was 12, dealing with that for about a year, something shifted. And I said, you know what? When they look at me, they're not looking at me. They're looking through me, through me, as in they would either see another person, their past, or would basically like black out. And then the very next morning, hey, where do you want to have breakfast at? Where should we go to lunch at today? And at the time I was like, do you not remember what happened for three or four hours last night? Like, And it happened so many times for so many years that I kind of just accepted what it was. But that was the upbringing there. On a positive note, they taught the discipline, professionalism, structure. My father was U.S. Army 25 years. My mother was a Montessori kindergarten teacher for 40 plus years. And alcohol never affected their personal life or their career at all. They were the best at what they do. But when it came to the bedroom door closing, the house door closing, when the last le- when the last guest left, they would just erupt. But I was able to use fitness and faith as my outlet. Fitness came one because I would push my body and mind past its pain threshold. So I would find calmness. My mind would be open and then I would work on my faith. And at that point, I would always want to give that energy to somebody else. So I feel like when you deal with trauma, especially with family, people are given a gift and you're able to connect with people deeper. So I feel like as a teen, discernment was my gift, being able to read people and meet them where they're at, but be able to build them up. So I was that kid in class who tried to help my classmates, my teammates, and all that. So I feel like people that deal with trauma, they give people what they did not receive. So I didn't receive, quote unquote, the love or the support. So I would give that to my friends, coworkers, athletes, teachers. So I always wanted to give that. So at the age 11, I grew up quick, (laughs) but that's essentially when everything shifted. And then from there, I just got very passionate about improving my body, improving my mind, but most importantly, helping others with that as well. Yeah. You know, one of the traits I've seen in a lot of children's of alcoholic parents is typically they have very, very high intuition. They can read a person, they can read a room way faster than most. Do you find that's the case with you? Oh, yes. hundred percent. As a teen, even like in sports and in college, I would tell my friends, I'm like, hey, X, Y, Z is about to happen when we'd be in public. And they're like, what are you talking about? Five minutes later, that scenario would play out. And they're like, how did you see that? And I could just see the shift in the room, the shift in an individual. But I feel like it all stems from being hyper aware, thinking a glass is going to be thrown at you as a child, <laughs> thinking you're about to get hit and all that. So it worked out in sports. I had amazing eye-hand coordination. And when it came to reading people, I was able to read the environment, a room, and an individual. So in my group of friends, teenage years, college, also time in the military, I was always the quote-unquote dad of all of my groups or the team leader or the coach because I was always hyper aware of my teammates and soldiers' energy or just the general environment we were in in public where I could just say, Hey, you know what? Let's leave in five minutes. Guy in the red shirt is going to fight that dude. And they're like, what, what do you, what do you mean? And then it would happen. And we would always miss danger or miss the bullies or anything that would cause up violence, cause up any drama. I would always make sure that I would get my people out of it before we got into that. But I definitely agree that people who deal with alcoholism or drug addictions at home, we're hyper aware. And I feel like that's our gift or our cheat code in life. Some can use it in a positive way. Some can use it in a weird and conniving way. But hey, I made sure to choose the positive path. 
Well, and I think about the, the benefit you brought to your fellow soldiers when you got them out of a fight. Now, I, I spent six years in the Marine Corps. I know, you know there's some differences, but I would imagine one thing that's not different is you don't want to get in a bar fight in the Marine Corps. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> is it the same in the Army? Oh, yeah. We, we, we don't want to deal with that because if one jumps in, we all got to jump in and we're all going to get arrested. And then it just opens up a can of worms. So I was definitely the one that could see it about to happen, even if it wasn't in a bar. It could just be anywhere in public because people are crazy nowadays. But I would make sure to pull everyone away and I would be able to assess the situation beforehand. And I was always the designated driver. So I wasn't impaired or drunk or plastered, whatever somebody wants to call it. So I was even more vigilant than they were. I was like, hey, you guys can have fun. I like seeing you guys having fun, but we're going to go ahead and leave now or head somewhere else. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I think is just amazing, and it's it's kind of like, um, you know, the flower rising out of the ashes. You know, I see that as those incredibly powerful skills that you got through a very broken situation. And I, th I think it's one of those beauties in life that out of a out of something horrible that a kid should never have to go through comes yes. just this amazing ability that where you can be a blessing to others. Thank you. Thank you. And one of the big things that really stood out to me is my father, he was always into personal development. He was an officer in the U.S. Army. So when I was 12 years old, he would always listen to Tony Robbins and Les Brown and other speakers. But I remember clear as day, I was in the backseat of the car and he had a cassette tape. I'm 33. So I grew up on cassette tapes and VHS. <laughs> so I was there during the shift. But I remember being in the backseat of the car and Tony said, if my mother gave me the love that I wanted as a child, I wouldn't be the man I am today. If my mother gave me the love I wanted as a child, I wouldn't be the man I am today. And I'm 12 years old hearing this and it just gave me chills. And I was like, yes, somebody understands. And I was just thinking long-term and I would tell my friends, they're like, what are you talking about? And I was just always the deep friend. I was thinking of perspectives, thinking of the future, how everything made sense. But it was more so I saw it as a challenge. And I told myself, I cannot change my family they're not open to change. If they are, I'm not going to be the one to change them, but I have to help others. But it first starts with me. So I made sure to take care of my body because I grew up the skinny kid. I was shy. I was timid. I stuttered. I didn't have public speaking skills. I was bullied at home. I was bullied at school. And I just said enough was enough in middle school. I said, I'm not going to live this way. I'm getting bullied everywhere. So then I got obsessed with bodybuilding magazines. I was reading Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was picking up uh, Bruce Lee books and magazines, men's health. I was watching endless movies of comeback stories and just immersing myself in autobiographies, biographies of individuals that went through things way worse. Not to minimize my situation, but to more so fall in love with the process and say, you know what? This is all part of my journey. And I would always say, challenge accepted, challenge accepted. So if my mother was in my face screaming, I would keep a blank face, not the first year, the first year I would react. But after that, I was able to just stay calm and say, you know what, tonight's workout or tomorrow's workout is going to be amazing. And after that, I'm going to be in an empowered mindset and I'm going to be able to help people in a deeper way because at home, we had a beautiful home in Florida, four bedrooms, four bathrooms, screened in pool from the outside, looked beautiful. But when all, when all the doors closed and the guests left, it was a lot of madness. So being outside of the beautiful home felt like home to me. So I like being in public. I actually really enjoyed being at school just because I liked interacting with people. So definitely being able to get those skills and utilizing those to empower others. Very cool. Now, one of the things that you mentioned was faith. What does faith mean to you? Great question. Faith means to me, 
believing in a higher power that is guiding you to live out your purpose and purpose being making a positive impact in the world. And I feel like everyone's mission on earth, even if it's not your career, is to help yourself turn yourself into a better man and woman and see how you can give that individual to others, whether it's career related, whether it's not career related, but being able to give back because we've all heard a speech, watch a movie, read a book where we just connected with the person because we're like, wow, they understand me. They went through the same wild stuff or dark stuff that I did, or they saw hell in a different way that, than you saw it, but you're able to relate to that person and you can feel it because those people, they're teaching from experience rather than just theories, a textbook, and like they, they mean well, but you don't, you don't feel it because they didn't actually experience it. So I definitely see faith as in using God's guidance or consciousness to be able to help yourself to then impact others. Okay. Now you went in the army at some point and yes. how, how long were you in the army? I was in the U S army for 10 years, five active and five national guard. Okay. And what did you do in the army? I did satellite communications. I was always the tech nerd. And besides satellite communications, I also was the master fitness trainer. So most of my day would be spent on laptops, on devices, setting up the satellites and radios to provide the commos. And the other half, I would run beside my platoon and train them and make sure that all soldiers were mission ready, whether that was for deployment, for schools that they were going to train at, or even some that came back from injuries and maybe gained weight or had a divorce started drinking more. I was the one that would get the soldiers in mental and physical condition to make sure that they were mission ready. And I really fell in love with that aspect. The satellite communications part was interesting, but I knew my passion was to build others up. And I just knew that the army was going to be a stepping stone to make a bigger impact on society than just soldiers or just athletes. Wow. And so that's kind of continued into what you're doing now. Yes, 100%. So I took a lot of the experiences from home, from sports and martial arts, also leadership styles that I saw in a positive way or saw that I didn't want in the US Army. And I took those into coaching. And I feel like dealing with a lot of different ethnicities, cultures, being in different countries and all that, you're able to see life at a different perspective and meet people where they're at with without judgment, just being neutral. And I feel that they they can relate to that and they can feel it because you're not going into it and saying, Hey, I see issues in you. Let's solve them. It's more so approach of being open. Who is open to change, building them up slowly and meeting them where they're at. Wow. So how, how do you, how do you work with people now? How I work with people now is two ways. One, I have a training app, which essentially is where we do fitness and nutrition so essentially they would have a calendar so they know what day of the week is what workout. And then they would have their meals or recipes in the app as well. And then everything relating to mindset or breaking old patterns, limiting beliefs or bad habits. We do all that via Zoom or if it's in person, if we live in the same area. So one side is the fitness, which is in the app. And the other where the magic happens, quote unquote, is during our conversations. And that's where we dive deeper into said topic whatever has been holding them back. And it's usually a vice, a vice being maybe somebody just has anger a lot and that is their outlet. Some people escape from everyone for two weeks, their phone rings and they just look at it and they don't respond. Everybody's worried about them, but that's that's their vice. They just become silent. Some people it's drugs, some it's alcohol, but whatever their vice is, we make sure to tackle that, nip it in the bud. So that way that thing does not control them where they carry that into everything that they do. 
Mm-hmm. And you say you work with them if they're local or over Zoom. Right now you're in Panama City, Panama. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> but you're 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 coming back to the U.S. Yes, in December we're going to move back to South Florida. My girlfriend and I. We've always just wanted to live out of the country for a bit. So we've been here about a year and a half and just wanted to experience it, get away. We don't have kids. We just have our pit bulls. So every couple of years we're just say, hey, you ready ready to go somewhere else? And we say, yeah, we sell everything on Facebook Marketplace and just dip and go from there. <laughs> wow, well, that's cool. So. You know, over these years, you know, one, you know, growing up and then in the army and now, now, what, what have you learned about leadership and, and what does leadership mean to you? Great question. So the main thing that I learned is prime examples of how I do want to lead people and how I don't, as in, we'll start with the negative, the person in the military, whether it's male or female, that is only stuck in drill sergeant mode even if they're not a drill sergeant. Basically, we call it the knife hand. I don't know what you all call it in the Marines, but they basically are just like, ah, my way or the highway. And that approach, it can work. But if that's somebody's only approach, nobody's going to like them. They're going to lower team morale or an individual's morale. And it's just going to be an uncomfortable environment that nobody wants to be in. So seeing examples of what I don't want to lead people and make people feel, but also in a positive And so seeing the good leaders know when to shift the focus of the day. So if they see an individual or a group's energy is off, build them up slowly and then do the mission or set objective, whatever it was for that day or for that moment. But definitely being able to bring those from those positive traits from the military into business and into coaching, because I feel like the best leaders, they can read people. And even if they do have an agenda or an objective that they wanted to do in that meeting in that day, if that person is closed off or is stressed, step one is to get them to release or do a workout with them, do something to release before we try to do it. Because some people they're like, hey, Monday morning meeting, let's get to it. What were last week's numbers? And they had no emotional awareness. They went in their IQ and numbers and everybody's like, did you not notice the energy is off? Like help build him or her up first before we talk about the numbers. So definitely being able to bring in the emotional awareness, not just the IQ. So I feel like a lot of leaders, they lack the EQ or it's just like gung-ho my way or the highway, but making sure that we meet people where they're at and people know that, hey, we're human too. And I can see you're human. What would you like to talk about? I have an open door policy and going that route rather than just attacking. You you know, I... Had somebody, I was in a conversation a few years back and somebody was like, well, look, you're from the, you know, you were in the Marines and it's, it's all about following orders and what have you. And, and then I heard another conversation recently and somebody was talking about free speech and I made some joke. I said, yeah, there's free speech in the Marine Corps. It just has its price. And, um, (laughs) but you know, the more I thought about it, it hit me. I honestly believe there was more free speech when I was in the Marines than there is in corporate America. Have, oh, 100%. All right. So w- what's your take on that? Why do you think that is? Why I think that is, is because, and like, I'm not in corporate America, but I did have careers there, is people put on a mask in corporate America so much that everybody's playing a character. And it's like, Brown knows this exec. This exec is a terrible example of a leader. And it's just, it's just so fake. That's at least my, again, this is my definition and opinion. It's just so fake. 
there are some corporate companies where people are starting to bring authenticity and real leadership into it, where it doesn't feel robotic. But one thing that I've always noticed about corporate America is people just continue the role that somebody else played. They learn from this mentor who is very shady. And then they assume the only way to go up the corporate ladder is to act like him or her. So they start to pick up their bad traits. And it's just like a rinse and repeat where everybody acts like the the rich 70-year-old in the office that has his feet kicked up and doesn't give a damn about anybody. It's like a repetitive thing where they're like, hey, you can't speak your opinion here. So again, it's just my perception of it. But that's how I do see a lot of corporate America is a lot of brown nosing, a lot of facades and if you're not part of our buddy group, then you're not going to get a raise or promotion. So everybody's like just trying to fit in opposed to authenticity and actually making a change. And the last thing about it that I'd never liked about corporate America is the we've always done it this way mentality where it's 2023, about to be 2024, which is crazy. This year flew by, but many companies and individuals, they don't adapt and evolve. So they've done things for 20 plus years from said notebook or handbook, and it's not effective it makes the workers more stressed when there's always a better and more efficient, effective and faster way to do it. So a lot of those corporate America companies, they don't they don't adapt. They just say our way or the highway. We've done it this way. Suck it up or we'll fire you and get somebody else in here. So definitely just my view of it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. The In the context of the first conversation, I was volunteering with somebody and somebody gave some stupid order they were like this had to be done this way and it was it was an yes. order that made no sense and they were that in the context of their comment was well you're in the marines you understand accepting orders and i remember thinking i was like yeah but there's something important that you're missing in the marines when you're issuing orders especially if it's an officer issuing an order they're issuing orders to people that they know have the ability to kill them and um and that's a moderating factor. You, you, you know, and I mean, there was one, uh, I think staff sergeant or gunny that told a, uh, Lieutenant straight to his face. He said, you're no officer of Marines. And the officer, you know, got all upset, went to the Sergeant major and said, Hey, the, you know, the gunny said, I'm no officer of Marines. And the Sergeant major said, yeah, he's right. You need to get your act together. And, <laughs> And so, you know, you have that aspect in the military. There's, I think, a false belief that's, I mean, yes, it's a very disciplined place focused on the mission, but they're moderating forces that keep that environment cohesive. And then somebody comes oh, in yes. and just issues stupid orders. It doesn't work. Exactly. And a lot of leaders nowadays, will we'll say the bad examples of leaders, especially in corporate America, there's too much pride and ego in the way where... Let's just say you did have the right answer and you say it in the Monday meeting. The the leader, quote unquote, with the pride and ego is going to brush you off. And then two weeks later, he's going to take he's going to take ownership of your idea. And you'll see it in the email. Oh, thanks to so and so. He did that. And he's like, yeah, I, I thought of that. And the guy in the corner being you, you're like, I'm the one that made the suggestion. Now you took it and ran with it. But I saw that a lot as well in corporate America, where there's too much pride and ego, where they feel intimidated. It's like a bunch of insecure boys that got power roles that now just need to have control of people and they don't work as a team. But in the military, I, I saw more predominantly in a positive trait where it's like, hey, I don't know what to do here. You're the expert in this. What do you think is the best approach? I learn from him. She learns from me, vice versa. And we build each other up together where I feel like that is way more common in the military and sports than in a lot of corporate America where it's just like ego, pride, 
he or she has a skill that is better than ours, they feel threatened, opposed to saying, hey, I see you're really good at this. Could you show me how this CRM works? A lot of them can't do that. <laughs> they just say, well, uh, screw that new guy. The new guy thinks he's better than us. It's like, no, <laughs> push your pride and ego aside and work as a team. There should not be bad morale in the room. And people can sense that. Yeah. Well, can you think of a time where you feel like your leadership was put to the test, kind of a white knuckled moment where you faced a decision and you weren't sure how it was going to work out? Oh, yes, definitely. So in the U.S. Army, we have a thing called SHARP, which essentially is a sexual harassment training class. So you have to watch a bunch of PowerPoints and the individual, whether it's male or female, they're teaching, walking you through it. And the whole intent is to make everyone aware. And we have to sign off on paper that we did the class that we learned what to do, what not to do when you're training with male or females or two males or two females, making sure we respect people on a human level. So what I noticed was, and this is all from discernment, I would tell my buddies, I'm like, Sergeant so-and-so, there's something weird about him. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? You don't have issues with anybody. I said, I, I don't. I respect everyone, but something's off about his energy. And he was the individual teaching said class. So after the class, a couple hours later, one of my female soldiers comes up to me and says, hey, Johnson, Sergeant so-and-so, he, he groped me. And my blood was boiling. And I'm not one to be violent, especially at work or anything like that, where I was just like, it's the fact to zoom back out. The individual teaching the sexual harassment class groped my female soldier an hour or two hours after doing that class and had everybody sign off. And like one side of me goes into violent mode, but obviously we're not going to ruin our careers. So I took a step back and said, you know what? I don't want to bash him in front of everybody and all that. I didn't say anything to anyone. I kept it between she and I, but then we formulated a plan. We said, okay, we need to let hire know about this because obviously this is not the first time because we're not going to play dumb and say, Oh, maybe it's oh, just a tap on the hand. It's like, no, 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 this, this guy does this. So probably does this at home too, or just to other people, but long story short, we crafted a plan and then we went higher. So basically we skipped the chain of command. So the decision was, do I go to an individual that's just above him or do we skip all five of them and go to the top? So we agreed. And I said, Hey, if, if you want this to be anonymous, I'll make this and put my name on it. If you want to be anonymous, but then she agreed to have her name in it. So we went to it. And so we skipped five ranks and I went to one of the generals and went from there. A couple of weeks later, he was no longer there. I don't know what ended up happening to him, but they found a lot of cases on him. But the decision was, yes, one side of you is angry. Yes, one side of you is like, well, if he gets in trouble, that means his pay will probably be cut. He has a wife and kids, et cetera. But it's like, that doesn't take away from the fact that this this situation is going to happen repeatedly. So what am I going to do? Worry about his wife and kids? Worry about not saying anything and bashing and bashing his, excuse me, worried about not saying anything and letting this continue and be worse in the future? Or look at it black and white and say, no, this cannot happen. So I stood up for my female soldier and we did what we had to do and he just was no longer at a unit. So that decision right there, and going back to what we mentioned about leader is leadership is looking at it black and white and doing what's best for your people. That was what was best for her because there was other, I want to say 20 to 30 other female soldiers that could have happened more often or even worse. So I felt confident in that decision to make sure that nothing darker happened in the future because if something worse happened, me and my male soldiers probably would have just snapped. So we saved ourselves, saved him. And just nipped it in the bud and didn't tell anybody, didn't cause a rumor, just did it professionally and went from there. 
without causing an uproar. And people just asked, like, hey, what happened to so-and-so? And people, chain of command just said, hey, he got stationed somewhere else. He's He's gone. Slowly wow. people started finding out, but nobody ever knew that she and I said anything, but we just had to make the right decision for her and for other female soldiers. So this does not happen again. So we looked at the macro view, not just individually. His reputation might be bashed. His family might be stressed for a couple of months till he finds a new career or whatever is after that. But in general is we can stop the situation right now and we can avoid future issues with this one individual. And yes, there's more of those type of people, but at least we feel good about making the right decision here. Well, excellent. Well, thanks for sharing that. No Derek, problem. Uh, it's been really good having you on Leaders and Legacy. Great insights, uh, great takeaways. For people that want to take this conversation further with you, how do they reach you? They can reach me on social media at Fit with Derek, D E R I C K, and the number two, Fit with Derek, two, or they could just type my name, Derek Johnson. Same picture on everything, but on social media, my intent is just to plant seeds. Whenever you're about to hit snooze and not work out, you're going to think of the video you saw and be like, yeah, I need to get my ass out of bed. That's me. <laughs> All right. Well, good. I hope people will reach out to you. Thanks for being I on. I appreciate it, Craig. All right. Thanks, Craig. This is Craig Andrews. I want to thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legacies podcast. We're looking for leaders to share how they're making an impact beyond themselves. If that's you, please go to alliesforme.com slash guest and sign up there. If you got something out of this interview, we would love you to share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show, including the hashtag Leaders and Legacies. I love seeing your posts and suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss anything, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to my team. If you want to know more, please go to alliesforme.com uh, or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.